Good morning, Keystone. Uh, we are starting a new series this morning, uh, and we're going to be looking at kind of two passages, but jumping around a little bit as well. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up first to Genesis 1, 31, uh, and then we'll be in Exodus 20 a little bit too, if you want to put a bookmark in there. Uh, this is something that maybe some of you have uh, at your own houses. This is my hiking backpack. Uh, I enjoy getting to go out on backpack trips when, when I get a chance, kind of getting away for a weekend uh, and packing everything in this, going for a hike with friends. But I've also found out that I have a problem when it comes to backpacking. Uh, I pack too much stuff. I pack far too much stuff. I cram my backpack as full as I possibly can, which isn't ultimately a good strategy for backpacking. I, I found this out, uh, or this became obvious, on one trip we, we took to Shenandoah Valley, where I was going for a weekend with several friends. And I packed uh, multiple sets of clothes in my backpack, uh, most of which I didn't end up using. I packed several books in my backpack, in case I got bored in the tent. Uh, I packed a coffee percolator in my backpack, because I still wanted a good cup of coffee the next morning. I packed far too many snacks that were neither necessary or healthy. Uh, and probably worst of all, I packed a little cooler with an ice pack in it uh, because I wanted some cold stuff as I was on this backpacking trip. People say your backpack should weigh about 30 pounds. And I think when I weighed mine, it weighed in close to 50 pounds. But I thought, man, I'm, I'm 25 years old. I'm healthy. I can do this. 50 pounds, whatever, that's nothing. And so we started out on this hike, and for the first couple miles, it was great. A and then about mile three, I started to feel it in my shoulders. And by mile six, I had a sore back and already had blisters on my feet. And by mile eight, I was so close to saying, I'm done, and just turning around and walking back to the car. See, I, I had packed so many things in my backpack, all of which were actually good things. And yet, in the process, I ended up carrying a weight that I wasn't meant to carry. And I think about that, and I think, I wonder for how many of us, that's an image of our lives. That we fill our lives with so many things, all of them good things, we might say. That, that we cram as much as we possibly can into each week, day, hour, and even minute. And, and maybe we even have this sneaking suspicion that it's too much and we're too busy. But we convince ourselves we can handle it. We'll just keep going under whatever weight it is. I wonder, why is that? Why do we do that? That, that maybe it's, it's because secretly, deep down, we really like being extremely busy, that it makes us feel important and needed by other people, that, that maybe it's because we know, especially in Lancaster County, hard work is a virtue, which it is, but we've got a sneaking suspicion that rest is just a synonym for laziness, which it isn't. Or, or maybe it's because we just keep going and going and never have the time to be able to slow down and ask, is this all worth it? Is this all worth it 
And more importantly, is this the life that God desires me to be living? When we come to Scripture, we find God desires us to have a life of rhythm. A life of rhythm that includes pausing and resting. And so in this series, we're going to look at how rest provides us the space to remember, to rejoice, to relate, and to restore. And as I think we'll see, pausing and resting is something God's woven into this world and something that he's actually woven into our DNA as human beings. And that when we fail to pause and rest, we end up suffering the consequences, one of which is forgetfulness. That one of the consequences of constantly being so busy and running from one thing to the next to the next is that we tend to forget God or just kind of push God to the side of our lives. Here's how Adam Mabry puts it in his book, The Art of Rest. If you reflect for a moment, you'll probably realize that the nonstop pace of the Western world life is neither physically sustainable nor spiritually beneficial. It is, however, a remarkably effective way to slowly forget God. And that's just the point. God gave us regular weekly times to stop in order to know, because we're bound to forget, that it is God who is God and not us. One of the benefits of developing a rhythm in our lives that includes both regular and weekly times to pause and rest is that we remember certain things that we're meant to remember. Or or here's how we'll put it this morning. Rest provides the space to remember and wonder. To remember and wonder. And we can see this is part of why rest is woven in from the very start. And so let's read in Genesis 1, 31 through 2, 3, and then we'll jump to Exodus 28 through 11 to start out this morning. Father, we come to you asking that you give us ears to hear what you want us to hear, eyes to see what you want us to hear, that ultimately your spirit would speak to each of us in the way that we need to hear from your word and need to hear from you. And so I pray that that's what you do this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Genesis 1, starting in verse 31. And God saw everything he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. And then Exodus 28 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. I want you to to picture with me for a moment being there in the beginning 
and seeing God create the world, just watching it happen. He takes nothing and he makes everything out of it. He, he, he creates the, the sun, the, the moon, the, the stars, the planets, the, the galaxies. He, he creates oceans and continents and mountains and, and rivers. He, he creates plants and trees and rainforests. He creates alligators and sharks and lions and hippopotamuses. And he creates living, thinking, breathing human beings like me and you. And I imagine if we were there, if we could have been there, we're watching it all happen, that there'd be this sense in which we're kind of standing on the edge of our seat or sitting on the edge of our seat asking, what's he going to do next? Right? That's the end of the sixth day. What's going to happen on the seventh day? Is this where God creates the iPhone and the internet? Like, what's he going to do next? What's he going to top it with? And the seventh day rolls around, thinking, what's going to happen? And God just stops, props up his feet, and rests. To which we should immediately then ask, well, why does God rest on the seventh day? Why does he rest? Like, were God's shoulders and back sore from all this creating? Was his throat sore from speaking everything into existence? Was his brain fried from crunching all the numbers to figure out how life could be possible on a planet? No, we we know that's not the case, right? We know God doesn't tired or need sleep from a verse like Psalm 121.4. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. God's, God's rest on the seventh day is not the rest of coming home after a long, busy week, and it's Friday night, and you just crash on the couch because you're so tired. God's rest on the seventh day is like the rest of a 10-year-old who's just finished putting together the millennial falcon out of Legos and then proceeds to joyfully play with it for the next 10 hours. God's rest is an overflow of celebration in the world he made that flows out of what we read in Genesis 1:31, where it says God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. It's not the rest of exhaustion, it's the rest of celebration. It's God enjoying and delighting in the world that he's made and inviting us to do the same. And so we might see from the start that one of the reasons we should pause and rest is to remember the goodness of creation, to remember the goodness of the world that God's created. This world is shot through with goodness. Yes, it's also broken and marred in awful ways because of sin all across the board. But think about it. It's a testament to how good the world was before sin entered and how good the world will one day be after sin is eradicated that even in the midst of sin's awful effects, the world is still so full of goodness. I mean... The sunrise and sunset cause us to stop and stare. They don't have to be so incredible and beautiful. A a ripe strawberry beckons us to stop and eat it. 
didn't have to taste so good. A beautiful voice calls us to stop and listen. It doesn't have to sound so good, but it does. Right? All these, uh, uh, a soft dog calls us to stop and pet it. It doesn't have to feel so good. A, a flower calls us to stop and smell. It doesn't have to smell. All these things and more call us, slow down and see how full of goodness this world is. To which you might say, first of all, goodness calls us to slow down. There's a reason why if you're watching a sports game and an incredible play happens, the very next thing that they do as broadcasters is replay that play in slow-mo three or four times. Right? I was watching a football game on Thursday night, first game in the NFL this year. And one of the players for the Los Angeles Rams, shout out to L.A., Joel, uh, made an incredible catch, toe-dragging catch. And it immediately, the commentators played it back in slow-mo for three or four times and talked about how good it was and invited me as the person who was watching it to see how good was that catch. Because goodness calls us slow down, take it in. Watch that. See that. Right? The goodness that God's created in this world calls us, beckons us, slow down. Slow down. And when we're rushing from one thing to the next to the next, and we're consumed with our to-do list, and we've always got one more thing we need to get to, we miss out on so much of the goodness that God's put, this, put in this world. And that's not only a problem, but it actually ends up being dishonoring to God. Because when we fail to slow down, we fail to stop and wonder at this world and then as a result, worship the God who's created it all. See, slowing down cultivates wonder. The world is full of so many things that should cause us to stop and say, wow, wow. But as 21st century human beings, we tend to have a wonder problem, right? We tend to have, in our scientific, technological age, we tend to lose the ability to stop and say, wow. That we're full of explanations and we're really low on wonder. That we're full of distractions and we're really low on awe that we're full of constant to-do lists and we're really low on simple curiosity about the world that God has made. This is where I'm convinced that we can and should learn from little kids, from children, right? This is a picture of something you've maybe seen before. You probably walked past one this past month at some point. This is a cicada shell. And it's also one of the treasures that my son loves to hunt for and find and take in, right? He thinks cicada shells are the coolest thing ever. And they really are when you stop to look at it. Like the eyes, the legs, the claws. Anytime he finds one, he just wants to sit and look at it. It says, Daddy, come look at this with me, right? And I'm so prone to think, 
Oliver, it's just a stinking cicada shell, right? While my mind flits to the schoolwork I've got to get done, what am I going to say on Sunday morning? How soon can I put my son to bed so I can watch my favorite TV show? To which I think God might say to me, Kyle, it's just a paper. It's just a sermon. It's just a stupid TV show. Look at this cicada shell. It's amazing. Now, now you might think Kyle's overdoing it here, and and maybe I am a, a little bit, but it's because I'm convinced our wonder problem is not because the world isn't so full of wonder. It really is, right? Like, it's full of sights, sounds, takes, and textures that should stop and make us say, wow, what kind of God creates this? Like, peaches don't have to be so sweet and juicy, but they are. Roses don't have to look so awesome and smell like honey, but but they do. Cicada shells don't have to be so intricate and delicate, but they are. What kind of God creates a world like this? My God, your God, the God we read about in the Bible. But when we fill our lives with so many things, and we run from the next to the next to the next, and we're consumed with all we have to get done and all that's on our to-do list, we can't stop to pause and wonder and then worship. In 1976, there was a man by the name of Clyde Kilby who gave a talk. Uh, He's coming from a Christian perspective. He taught at Wheaton School. And in this talk, he gave 10 resolutions for mental health. He gave this talk in 1976. There's a man ahead of his time. Like, I wonder what he would say in our day where we have this mental health crisis in many ways. And I included all, all 10 on your notes. There's a link if you want to go see them. But, but one, number six on his list was this. I shall open my eyes and ears. Once every day, I shall simply stare at a tree, a flower, a cloud, or a person. I shall not then be convinced at all to ask what they are, but simply be glad that they are. I shall joyfully allow them the mystery of what Lewis calls their divine, magical, terrifying, ecstatic existence. Let me just suggest two things here for us. A daily and weekly thing. First, the daily thing would be this. Find ways to stop, pause, in an effort to cultivate wonder. Maybe it's just 10 minutes at the start of your day where you go outside and you sit and you just sit. Maybe it's going for just a short walk in in the woods or at a path by your house. Maybe it's taking five minutes to eat a peach in the morning rather than one minute as you rush out the door. Maybe it's in the evening, instead of scrolling through a phone or or watching yet another rerun of The Office, I'm preaching to myself here, uh, we go outside and for 10 minutes we take in the sunset or the stars. Like, What are things that might help us to stop and pause and wonder Build those things into our lives daily. And then weekly to take a day of rest, a Sabbath, and to build into that day, to make a primary goal of that day, ultimately wondering at the world God's created and the life that he's given you. Like what what are the things that cause you to stop and say, wow, God, you're so good. Maybe it's taking a hike or cooking and eating a good meal. 
Like, I'm looking forward to sushi that I'm going to eat later today because it's going to make me say, wow, God, you're so good. Sushi didn't have to taste so good, but it does. Maybe it's playing with your kids. Maybe it's watching a football game and being amazed that God has created people who can play football. Like, weave into that day things that would cause you to say, wow, God, you're so good. And then make it a practice to look on that day for all those things where we might say, wow, God, you're so good. You're so good. Pause both daily and weekly to remember the goodness of this world and wonder at the God who's made it. Now, when we pause to remember God's creation, we're also remembering that we have been created. We are creatures that God made on the sixth day. And so we might say this, pause to remember you are only human. Pause to remember you and I are only human. We're not machines. When God created the world, he created it with limits, right? Like the seas are held within their bounds. A day's limited to 24 hours. A week's limited to seven days. God didn't have to create the world with limits, but he does. And then when he creates humans, he gives you and I limits, right? We need oxygen. We need food. We need water. We need sleep. We need a day off each week. God creates us with limits. And so to be human means to have limitations. Here's what David Murray says about this. Creatures, by definition, are less than their creator. He is infinite. We are finite. He is unlimited. We are limited. Although none of us would say that we are unlimited, most of us think we are less limited than we actually are. Such an underestimating of our limitations and an overestimating of our abilities results inevitably in strain, fraying, and eventually breaking. If someone told you right now, go outside after church is done and run 100 miles, I would guess your response would be to look at them and say, I can't do that. I'm not that strong. I'm not that capable. Like, I'm limited. I can't do that. But if someone told you and I right now, go get seven to eight hours of sleep every night and take a day off once a week, how many of us would respond and say, I can't do that. I'm too busy. See, in the first case, we know we're limited. We're limited. There are things we can't do. And yet, in the second case, we want to say, I'm not going to accept the type of limits that God places on me as a human being. I'm just going to push through them. And, And we might ask all that, well, why did God create us with certain limits? To remind us that he is God and that we're not, and that we're dependent on him. To be human means to be dependent on God. I love how Isaiah puts it in Isaiah 40, 28 through 30. First of all, he says, The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Right? God is unlimited. That's what he's saying. Now, let's jump down. We'll hit the middle part uh, after we hit the bottom part. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. What's he saying? We're limited, right? 
Even LeBron James needs a time on the bench. Even Tom Brady needs an off-season. Every single one of us is limited. Why? He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. God is unlimited. We are limited. Why? So that, so that we might learn to depend on God. Lean on him. Trust him. Humans were never meant to live independent of God. We were meant to live in joyful dependence on him. But sin comes in and starts to convince us we don't need to depend on God. We can be self-sufficient. We can do this on our own. And our limitations are like alarm clocks going off in our life that remind me and you, we need God. We need God. Every time I sit down to eat a meal, I'm called to remember God is the one who provides food for me. And so Psalm 104, 14 through 15 says, You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart. Every time I get tired, I'm called to remember God is the one who gives me rest. David says in Psalm 4, In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. And every time the seventh day rolls around, I'm called to remember I need a day off and God will take care of me. Humans were meant to flourish under the limits God has set for us. And when we refuse or neglect those limits, we ultimately end up suffering as a result. Now here is maybe one of the easiest applications you'll hear and maybe one of the most difficult for some of us. Get some sleep. Get some sleep. I wonder how much, not all of it, I'm not trying to make a direct connection here, but but how much of the mental health crisis we face in our world is related to the fact that we just aren't getting enough sleep at times. Whether it's because we're staying up late on phones or staying up late watching a TV show or because we're convinced we we have too much work we need to get done or, or we're worrying about things in our lives that we are getting less sleep than anyone else in history. And sometimes I think we're convinced it's spiritual to sleep less. Like the devil never sleeps, so why should I sleep? The devil loves when we believe that and don't sleep as a result because we're far more easier prey and targets for temptation, for discouragement, and for all sorts of problems when we don't rest like God has meant us to rest. I love, again, what David says. He says, I lay down and slept. I woke again. For the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Like if ever there was anyone who didn't need to sleep, it was David. He killed a giant. Why does he need to sleep? Saul's breathing down his neck about to take him out. Better not close his eyes or Saul might kill him in his sleep. What does he say? I laid down. I slept. God watched over me and he woke me back up. So we we preach a sermon when we sleep, that goes a little bit like this. God is good. He will take care of me. He's awake. Therefore, I can sleep. 
Now, I, I know there are all circ sorts of circ circumstances in life that may prevent you from getting sleep at a time, whether you're a young mom or, or have some other circumstance. And you should know that like, I'm speaking to myself so much when I'm talking right now. I don't have this whole sleep thing down. Sleeplessness is probably one of the most frustrating things in my life. That there are moments where it's my own fault because I stay up too late watching another episode of TV. There are moments where it's just some sort of insomnia where I can't sleep and I don't know why. There are moments where I know it's because I'm too worried and anxious and so I can't lay my head down, right? Like if you're someone who you can fall asleep at the snap of your fingers, man, I envy you. If you're one of those people that like you can sleep in just any position, you fall asleep standing up, like that sleep is your spiritual gift. I, I want that. I want that. I don't have this sleep thing down. But, but here's, here's what I know from Scripture. God calls us to try to get the sleep we need. He gives us sleep. And so when we do get it, it's a gift, and we should thank him for it. And when he withholds that gift, he calls us to trust him, even when we feel weary and tired. But that's not ultimately an excuse to think that we can push through the limits he's given us if we're able to sleep. Right? Now, I wonder if in this moment, so we've talked for the past couple of minutes here, if any of you have thought, why are we talking about sleep on a Sunday morning sermon? Like, aren't there more spiritual things to be talking about on a Sunday morning? To which we might say, well, if, when Jesus came to this earth, he needed to sleep, which he did. We've got lots of record of him sleeping, including in the middle of a storm, nonetheless then sleep isn't unspiritual. And in fact, sleep is maybe one of the most deeply spiritual acts when we do it by faith and trust in a God who we know is going to take care of us. As we pause and sleep, we remember we're only human and we remember who ultimately runs this world. That we should pause to remember who runs this world. Pausing and resting is ultimately this act where we say, the world and even my own life doesn't depend on me. It depends on God. It, it, it's interesting. I, I think part of why God is reminding his people in Exodus 28:11 to rest, this command he's given them, which he roots back in creation, which is why I think this command still applies to us today and not just to Israelites. He's rooting it in both his pattern, what he did at creation, but I think he's also rooting it in who he is, saying, remember, I created the world. Remember who I am. Remember that I run this world. Therefore, you can take a break. You can take a breather. That as we look at the creation of the world, we're reminded that God absolutely can be trusted to take care of our lives, and therefore we can rest. I think, first of all, that we're reminded our creator is unlimited. God speaks the world into existence. Do you believe that? Do you believe that's, that's what happened? That he spoke the Atlantic Ocean into existence. That he spoke the whole continent of Asia into existence. Like, if, if that's how unlimited our God is, then surely he can handle our lives. And our failure to rest well is ultimately a failure to believe that God really is able to take care of us. See, whether we rest or sleep is a really good test of what we say we believe about God's sovereignty. 
We can preach God's sovereignty day and night, but if we never take a day off, if we never pause and rest, we show I don't really believe God's able to take care of my life. God is unlimited. Our creator is unlimited. We also see our creator is generous. The the creation is a reminder that God is incredibly generous. He gives the whole world for us to enjoy. But also the Sabbath is a reminder that God is incredibly generous. It's interesting that most of, if not all, the creation stories around the time the Bible is written, the God or gods creates humans to work, ultimately. That that's their primary purpose, to work and serve the gods, to do the things the gods don't want to do. And so imagine how shocking it is when people read the Bible and the very first thing God calls humans to do is rest. Right? The whole world stands at attention. God, what do you want us to do? Take a load off and prop your feet up. Take a day off. This is how A.J. Swoboda puts it. Striking as it is, Adam and Eve's first full day of existence was a day of rest, not work. Imagine what Adam and Eve learned about God's generosity from their first impression of him on their first day. Their first knowledge of God in the world had made was that rest was not an afterthought. Rest was of first importance. Adam and Eve had accomplished nothing to earn this gratuitous day of rest. A failure to rest well is rooted in a belief that all we have is a gift from a generous God, not something we have to earn and hold on to by our own efforts. Look, our, our story is not a pick yourself up by your own bootstraps story. Because if it is, you better never take your boots off or it might fall apart on you. Our story is the story of a generous, gracious God who gives us all we have and therefore says, you can take your boots off once a, once a week or during the day to sleep at night because I've got it and I'm good and you can trust me. Our creator is generous, our creator is unlimited, and our creator is wise. Surely if God knows how to put together the world in such a way that it sustains life, then he knows how to take care of our lives and what's best for our lives. A a failure to rest well is a failure to believe that God really knows what he's doing. One of my pet peeves, maybe this is one of your pet peeves too, is a backseat driver. You want to see my sinfulness come out? Sit in my backseat and tell me all the things I'm doing wrong as I drive. Didn't put your turn signal on quick enough there, Kyle. You missed that turn. You're going five miles over the speed limit. You better slow down. Are you sure this is the way you want to go? To which I always just want to kind of turn around and say, do you trust me to drive or not? Do you trust me to drive or not? When we refuse to take a day off, when we refuse to pause and rest, we're effectively being a backseat driver to God who's saying, God, I don't really trust your ability to take care of me. I don't really trust your wisdom in my life. Therefore, I need to stay awake and keep working and stay alert because otherwise my life or the lives of my kids are going to fall apart. To which God might say to me, do you trust me to drive or not? Our creator is unlimited. Our creator is generous. Our creator is wise. And then we see through Christ, our creator is our father.
that God created humans to live in joyful dependence on him, trusting him to take care of us, knowing that he's generous, enjoying this world alongside of him. But then sin messes all that up, where now we don't trust God. We think he's anything but generous. And rather than enjoying him, we avoid him or hate him. And yet we see Jesus comes to bridge the gap that God's intent on dwelling again with us, living with us, being our father. And through Jesus, we get brought back into this relationship where he's not only our creator, but also our father. And so Jesus says these words, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, They neither neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? I I would guess many of you, or at least some of you, maybe I shouldn't say many, have dogs as pets in your house. And your dog probably sleeps 16 to 20 hours a day, maybe more. My dog probably sleeps closer to 22. By the time I left this morning, I think she was already on her third nap in the morning. Why why can dogs sleep so much? Because they know their owners will take care of them, right? Like they know there's going to be food and water in those bowls when I need it. There's going to be a walk when I need that. There's going to be an ear scratch when I need that. There's going to be a bed for me to crawl into at the end of the day or all throughout the day. Dogs have this simple trust that their owners are able to take care of them, good enough to take care of them, and wise enough to be able to take care of them. Now, I'm not saying that we should live like dogs and sleep 20 hours a day. God's created us with, with a rhythm of work and rest. But based on how infrequently some of us pause and sleep and rest, it's as if we believe we can take better care of our dogs than God can take care of us that our failure to rest is ultimately a failure to believe, God, you really will take care of me in my life. Therefore, I can take some time off and take a breather. Get some rest. The world doesn't ultimately depend on you. Like practice taking a day off each week and letting everything else go. Put, Put down your phone for a little bit on that week. Again, please hear me that I'm preaching to myself. But so much of what our phones are discipling us to do is to convince us the world is falling apart and everyone's life is better than mine. And when we pause, we might remember God is running the world and the life that he has given me is an incredible gift. What's that area in your life that you struggle to let go of for a day a week entrusted into God's hands? Moms and dads, the, the outcome of your child's life is not ultimately dependent on you. You can release the grip on their life and trust that God has a grip on their life. So at the end of the day, you don't have to replay all your failures as a parent in your mind. But you can remember God is gracious and he's got their life. You, you don't have to give your kids every single possible opportunity and think if I don't, they might not succeed. Because their life is in God's hands ultimately. He's got them, and he's good and generous and wise and unlimited in our careers or or schools. Like, 
the success of our life does not ultimately depend on how many hours we put in, how high up the ladder we climb, how many A's we get. It depends on we have a generous God who cares for us. So you can punch out, you can shut the computer down, you can put it all away for a couple hours or a day and trust God to take care of whatever project is left undone. In whatever friendships, relationships you have, you don't have to constantly say yes to please everybody. You can say no if you know that one more thing is going to overcommit you and know that God's the one who gives you relationships. God is running the world. Live like that's true. Get some rest. Because ultimately, rest is a wonderful gift from a wonderful God. We should pause because rest is a wonderful gift from a wonderful God. I I have this coffee mug at home. It's my favorite coffee mug by far. I love to drink coffee out of it every time I get the chance to. Not only because it's the biggest coffee mug we have in our house, but because it's a coffee mug uh, that my wife gave to me on our first Valentine's Day like 10 years ago. I know it's kind of cheesy, but but ultimately when I pick up this coffee mug, it's this like simple reminder, uh, my wife loves me. And I'm convinced that when I drink coffee out of that mug, the coffee tastes just a little bit better. That, That it stays just a little bit warmer for a little bit longer, and that the day just ends up going a little bit better. Pausing to rest is a little bit like that coffee mug that when we lay down and go to sleep, or we take a 15-minute break to take in the world God's created, or we take a day off, we're remembering God loves us, and he'll take care of us. And that when we're able to rest well, everything else just seems a little bit better. So pause, take a break, and remember the goodness of creation. Pause, take a break, and remember that you are only human and you're dependent on a good God. And pause and take a break and remember that the same God who spoke this world into existence, who rules over it now, and who sent his son to rescue you is the God who invites you. Take your boots off, take a break, rest, sleep, and trust me. Let's pray. Father, we praise you because you are a sovereign, wise, loving, generous God who is ultimately our Father. And God, we want our belief in those truths not to just be something we say, but something we know and something that affects our lives. And so I pray our belief in those truths would be the sermon that we preach when we take a break, when we go to sleep, and when we take a day off and that we would proclaim to ourselves and everyone else watching, we have an awesome God, a good God, a wise God, and he can be trusted. Pray this in Jesus' name.